plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Well, hello, Power Partners. Welcome to our informational playground. This is Star Style. Be the star you are, and we are going to do it with Star Style. We're brought to the airwaves under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity. I am your host, Cynthia Bryan. And like we do every Wednesday, we are coming to you live on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. I'm very excited for today's show because it is all about nature and gardening. So we are going to be outside the entire time, which is where I love to be. (laughs) I can't wait to the day that comes, and maybe it's already here and I just don't even know about it, where I can just think something And it will transform to my computer so that I can submit it to the newspaper or whatever. And then I can just be out in the garden all the time (laughs) and never, never hooked to a computer. The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are charity. And you can find out more information at BeTheStarYouAre.org. We have a lot of great things happening all the time, and we've got a, uh, a new videographer, and we have a lot of people doing great book reviews at the moment. So check us out, bethestarur.org. And this is Martin Luther said this, For in the true nature of things, if we rightly consider, every green tree is far more glorious than if it were made of gold and silver. And that's going to lead me to our show for today. Well, coming up in segment two, we are going to go to Florida for the book, The Garden Tourist Florida by Jana Milbacher. It is a guide to 80 tropical gardens in the Sunshine uh, State. And she has just done an amazing job. Florida Gardens illustrate the incredible biodiversity as well as the plant collections from other tropical areas of the world. And uh, we will visit like botanical gardens, historic estates, butterfly gardens, zoos, specialty nurseries, and off the beaten path destinations that any passionate gardener or a vacation traveler like me (laughs) would really enjoy. And then in segment three in California, at least, May rains is one of the most colorful and beautiful months of the year. Mother Nature has fully awakened from lingering winter doldrums to burst into bloom. And that radiant combination of lush green lawns, which won't last very long, but they're, they're lush right now, against cheerful vignettes of glowing, flowing flowers, trees, and shrubs, it's absolutely mesmerizing. So I will be talking about what to plant and what to be aware of because there are some some poisonous plants out there in the garden that are coming up as well. And right now we're going to talk about trees because 
Trees communicate with each other. They share resources, they absorb greenhouse gases, and they provide the oxygen we breathe. They are food, they are medicine, and they are providing us with uh, life sustenance, uh, basically, teaching us that everything we need is provided by Mother Nature. So we do have to protect our trees and plant trees and uh, make sure that that trees will be around and that we're not cutting them down, you know, clear cutting like we're doing in the Amazon or actually in places in Africa and other uh, rainforests. So we want to eliminate, um, not eliminate, illuminate the sacred gifts of nature. And lives of trees are really glorious. We can explore how they are our wisest elders. I mean, some trees are several hundred years old, and the California sequoia, the oldest one, is over a thousand years old. Now, Herman Hesse said trees are sanctuaries. Whoever knows how to speak to them, whoever knows how to listen to them, can learn the truth. Now, they are gentle giants that surround us with their arms, you know, spread out above us. They provide us, as I said, with oxygen and they absorb the greenhouse gases that are around us. And we can see them uh, in springtime budding in beautiful spring weather. So if they are deciduous, they are getting the, you know, their new leaves. If, if they are a flowering tree, the buds are coming out. And um, if it's for summer, like crepe myrtles, they'll be blooming in summer. If they're fruit trees, they're, they either have already bloomed or they're going to be blooming now. I mean, my garden has just been, um, oh, just a parade for the last few months of one tree after another blooming. And I, I just absolutely, um, I can't get enough of how wonderful they are. Now, do you go out and notice what trees surround you where you live? Do you have deciduous trees? Do you have uh, evergreen trees? I mean, we, again, here in California, we're known for the California redwood. And we have also lots of oaks. Um, which some are deciduous and then some are evergreen. Now, trees that are evergreen stay green all year long, um, you know, like the magnolia, but they do lose their leaves. It's just that they lose their leaves and then they get new other leaves. But trees that are deciduous, they lose their leaves in the late fall and winter, and, and then they are bare all through the winter. Now, one of my favorite... Uh, trees that it just is to me it's beautiful all year round and it is a deciduous tree it is the one I just mentioned the crepe myrtle so we'll start with spring right now all the leaves are uh, popping out and they're just really you know they're this beautiful beautiful a uh, deep uh, kind of emerald green uh, mixed with maybe even an avocado green so it's different colors of green uh, and it depends on what color the flower of the crepe myrtle is going to be. But uh, so spring, it has a beautiful green leaves. As summer comes, then the flowers emerge. And crepe myrtles come in all different colors. Um, my favorite are the fluorescent pinks. It's called watermelon. I have, I don't know, I have a lot of 
watermelon trees. But they also come in reds and whites and light pink and uh, purple and actually lavender. And they're all very pretty, especially if there if there's several of them, like in an L.A. Then in the fall, they lose their color and the leaves turn bright red, bright orange, yellow. So they get that gorgeous fall color. And then when they lose their leaves, the bark is so interesting that the bark kind of peels and it almost has a birch color. Um, I just really, really love crepe myrtles. You can also make crepe myrtle bushes. Also, there is a true magical life force amongst trees that many people are surprised to know because trees are truly social beings. In the forest, they actually care for each other and they nourish each other. And they actually, if there is a tree that is unhealthy, they will uh, communicate and share resources and attempt to get that tree back to, to health with the mycelium. Um, they, uh, they give off chemicals through their leaves and their branches. And then that complex network of soil fungi, which is the mycelium, they co it connects one plant to another. And through the mycelium, an enormous amount of information and goods is transferred to benefit the health of the collective trees in a forest. And so in this way, trees teach us the importance of our interconnectedness as a means to be a thriving community. They also provide us with life-sustaining food and medicine. In fact, they can teach us that everything that we need to survive is provided by Mother Nature. So let's look at just a few trees and some of their sacred um, qualities. So uh, again, I'm going to just speak for California. Um, and of course, you know, I'm looking at the cover of Jana's book, which has a palm tree on it. And I love palm trees. A lot of people don't because, you know, they do need maintenance. And, you know, they, they, some people call them rat condos. But I just love them because it reminds me of the tropics. And we do have them here. And I actually have, I think, six palm trees on my property, which I only planted two in pots. And then somehow the birds brought in seeds of other palm trees. So it gives me that, you know, that tropical, that tropical feel, which I, I really, really like. But we have black oak, valley oak, live oak. Now, oak is a highly valued um, wood in the timber industry because it's very strong, it's resilient, and it's really beautiful. And it's so important to keep these trees alive. In fact, you know, when you go to buy a property in California, if you have an oak tree on it or a redwood tree on it, the property values are actually, actually go up. People really, really... Um, admire these trees and different parts of the oak tree you know it, there's acorns there's leaves there's barks there's roots they've been used throughout time to treat ailments like diarrhea or alleviating respiratory illnesses or even relieving hemorrhoids and perhaps the most obvious use of the oak tree is the acorns so it is actually a, a fruit or the seed, you know, of the oak, and um, it has always it has been 
uh, well, obviously, you know, the squirrels and bears and, you know, a lot of wildlife eat the acorn. But people, especially Native Americans, uh, really used the acorn, made it into flour, and you could do all kinds of things with that acorn flour. Um, acorns can be used in place of nuts, or they could be used in place of cornmeal in recipes. You could make acorn pancakes or acorn pasta or acorn bread or acorn dumplings, muffins, soup. I mean, the list really goes on. Um, there are lots of delicious ways to use acorn. And what's interesting is uh, we are finding that there are more Native American restaurants opening with uh, Native American foods now using all the ingredients that are natural. So that's rather exciting. Bay laurel is another tree in abundance in our area. I have several of those too, and I use bay in everything. And they're just so great. It has many medicinal qualities. Uh, bay can support a digestive tract functions. I actually make tea with it. It reduces flatulence. It soothes urinary tract infections, dental infections, sore throats, and it is an antiseptic and, um, uh, and uh, a, a bactericidal properties as well. And emotionally, it's known to alleviate anxiety, hypersensitivity, and even lack of, of self-esteem. Now, I like to put it in my kitchen cabinets because flies and bugs are repelled by the odor of bay leaves. So I actually put some bay leaves in my flour you know, like cooking flour, and you won't get any bugs. Uh, so it's it's really, it is really great. And of course, people use it in cooking. You can't really make Italian spaghetti sauce without bay, but I put it in a lot of different things. Also, we have elderberry trees, and it has been known as a magic tree of life. It's extremely versatile. It's very fast growing. And it is, um, the berries are packed with vitamins, flavonoids, antioxidants, uh, tannins. And, you know, a lot of people don't even notice it. But there is, I have to say something about elderberry, because the only edible part of the elderberry are the berries, and they need to be cooked. Elderberry leaves, bark, root, and even the flowers are toxic and poisonous to humans. Um, some people have used elderberry flowers in recipes as long as they are cooked. And they've used them to reduce fevers and upset stomachs and boost immune system. But I would like to caution people to be very cautious of the elderberry flower because it, it, um, the whole plant, except for the berries, are known to be toxic. Now, the plant, um, including the bark and roots, has been used for um, for like bee stings and to reduce swelling, that kind of thing. And uh, the native people used to make instruments and weapons and toys and combs out of elderberry wood. So a lot of elderberry is considered a, a natural healing remedy. But uh, again, I think the berries, which are used in jams and pies and wine, those are the most popular. And then our most sacred tree is the redwood. Um, <laughs> the native people who lived here in California 
believed that it was a holy tree and cutting down a redwood was actually considered an act of violence. So if one embraces the redwood, the, the, um, the theory was that it would heal you and it would be you are giving something to nature and the nature would give back to you. And Native Americans knew that no one of us is the center of the universe. So they felt a very a deep kinship with the redwood. So it's fun to dive deeper into um, redwood lore and read books or essays about the redwoods. And of course, we want to save them. But I, again, another caution that I want to say is if you're going to plant a redwood, make sure that you have a space that's big enough and that you are not, um, um, you know, disobeying any rules, especially if you're in a homeowner's association. If you are in an area that has a house above you, like on a hill, you do not want to plant a redwood because it'll block a view. Redwoods can get to 300 feet tall and they'll get to 50 feet wide. And that's usually just within 15 to 20 years. So they actually are fairly fast growing and they get huge. So if you plant four or five redwoods, um, you will definitely have a hedge that nobody will see around. Well, when we come back from break, we're going to be meeting Jana Milbacher. And we will talk about her, her garden tourist books that she has done. She's done The Garden Tourist New England, Just the Garden Tourist. And the one that we'll be discussing will be Garden Tourist Florida. You are listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We will come back and we're going to Florida. So stay with me for this travel trip. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Get autographed copies of New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. Get inspired and motivated to be your best self with Be The Star You Are, 99 gifts, and Be The Star You Are for teens. Buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums. Visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925-377-STAR. 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 Are you seeking a dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. Lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 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 And visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan. www.cynthiabryan.com. 
Are you a teenager with lots to say but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel and join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com You can express yourself. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of well, we are back, and it's a garden party today, and I'm so excited about this because I have Jana Milbacher with me, who is the author of the Garden Tourist series, and today we're going to be talking about the Garden Tourist Florida. She is also a fellow member of GardenCom, as I am, and she's a garden designer, a speaker, and she absolutely loves traveling and combining her horticulture passions and skills and you cannot believe this book how beautiful it is welcome yana to star style be the star you are i was oh yes i was really excited to uh to read it and i wish that you have do one of california too so (laughs) this i have to ask you do you shoot your own photos as well I do. I do. Uh, I love to take photographs. Um, I have ever since, uh, really ever since uh, college, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I stud- I took quite a few photography courses at that time. And uh, so it's, it's just something I really enjoy. So it's part I of your use- passion. Yes, well, yes. you know, because I, because I'm, as I, we were talking off the air, I'm also a, a garden writer, or, well, a garden communicator that we say now. I mean, I have radio too. So, um, and I also do all my own photography, but not that many people do. A lot of people just do the writing. So let's right. jump, let's jump into how you got started to do the Garden Tourist Series. And sure. tell us just a little bit of the backstory for that. Yeah, sure. So, um, I began visiting public gardens myself at, when I was a novice gardener, which was about 30 years ago. And um, I found that I learned so much by visiting public gardens. And I was really inspired to take home ideas that I had seen and use them in my own garden. And uh, gardening uh, started as a hobby, turned into a passion, and then really became a second career for me. Um, as I began, as I became a garden designer and lecturer, and uh, as I began speaking to other local gardeners um, in garden clubs and other groups, I found that most of them didn't know about the gardens that were available to them in, you know, in our local state mm-hmm. or even just beyond. So, um, and there were no really garden travel guides out there. So that's what inspired me to really. Um, start writing these books uh, to put everything together um, to give um, give readers a sense about how the garden began, who the founders were, because there were some really interesting stories about those uh, people and how uh, their hobby turned into a public garden eventually. We well, so, you know it's how- it's so fabulous because gardening is one of those skills 
that usually does start as a hobby or something that you just, right. you know, you enjoy it so much, but then it becomes such, such a passion and you become so good at it that you do go into other aspects of the garden, uh, you know, whether it be design yeah. or consulting or writing or whatever. So sure. um, how do, for, as far as becoming a garden designer, tell us about that process for you. Well, um, I, you know, as I said, I started as a hobby uh, while I was working as a graphic designer, actually. And um, as you, as, you know, as people start visiting your garden, they, and they like what they see, they start asking you for advice. Right. Um, soon, you know, you're informally designing other people's gardens. And um, so, uh, and I had been taking uh, courses. I'd been doing a lot of reading, uh, just a voracious reader. So eventually I decided to try to do this professionally. And um, so that was uh, about uh, 12 years ago now. And, um, and so it really evolved into a second, uh, se- second vocation for me. And you know, I really isn't it amazing? It. I mean, it's probably something you never thought about. But the minute that people start asking you to, gosh, can you help me out? Then you know, right. okay, I think I have something special, right? Right, right, exactly. And yes. it's, um and it's great to work with other people to um to you know kind of find out about um uh what they're looking for, and uh, I I just find that. Really, there isn't there. There are very few people that are don't have some sort of love of plants and flowers. And uh, many of the people that I work with, um, one of the things I always ask them if there is a special plant that they would like to include in their gardens. And most of them have some sort of childhood memory, a plant that may, maybe their grandmother grew. Exactly, um, and in that cottage they have, garden. They have a real. Yeah, they have a real attachment to that specific plant based from their, you know, based on their childhood, and they want to incorporate that in their own garden. So that's a special kind of a special um, uh, aspect of uh, being a garden designer and being able to help them to uh, create a special place, you know, that they can ha- they, they can have at their own home. Because you're creating, you're you're helping their dreams come true as well as. Um, of elevating their memories, you know, so when they yes. go into their garden, they'll be able to talk about, well, this is how my grandmother or grandfather or parents or aunt, uncle, whatever it was, because right. because I right. agree. I mean, I learned uh, my gardening from my parents, you know, it's right. like they, right. they loved it and, and we always loved it. And so I tried to teach my kids. Well, let's talk about your newest book in the Garden Tourist series. It's called the Garden Tourist Florida. And in it, you visit 80 tropical gardens in the Sunshine State. Now, I'm assuming you actually visited all 80, too. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. oh, my goodness. I, so yes. do, you, do you go on an extended trip or do you do like, do you go a week and go to as many as possible? Tell me how you usually do it. Yeah, well, in this situation, because um, because I'm located in New England, so I had right. to, you know, fly to Florida. I did it over. I kind of divided the state into areas, and then I would spend, um, you know, a certain amount of time and just focus on that particular area. I researched the gardens in advance, and um, and all. But the other thing that I always do too is when I'm visiting gardens, I always. Um, 
ask some of the gardeners that I meet if they have recommendations for me. And, mm. and sometimes that's how I find out about some of the less less uh, well-known gardens, the ones that are kind of off the beaten path. Um, and and uh, that's, sometimes the, that's those really are fun. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, I, so I have I a it. question. So I, you start off um, with Jacksonville. Now, I know it's really hard to say if, you know, what's your favorite garden? It's like asking, what is your favorite child? I mean, people always right. say to me, what is your favorite flower? And then, you know, it literally depends what's blooming at that moment because I'm in love sure. with everything. You know? Right, right. So, but, but I wanted to just talk about Jacksonville, for example. Uh, so if, if someone, because you are listing three, and looking at the photos, they just look spectacular. Three places in Jacksonville, the Arboretum and Botanical Gardens, the Jacksonville mm-hmm. Zoo and Gardens, and the Cummer Museum of Art and Gardens. So if you only had one day in Jacksonville, uh, and maybe not even a full day, what would you suggest that the person go to see if they really want to see some, you know, see as sure. much diversity as possible? I and that might be sure. a difficult question, but well, but I thought I would I ask it. It really depends on their interest because you know those particular three gardens are very different. One mm-hmm. is a naturalistic arboretum. Um, the other one, you know, is a zoo. So um, it has the animals. It, you know, it's got the animals, and the third one is a mutant art museum. Um, so as far as uh, and that one has the uh, Cummer Museum has uh, beautiful formal gardens that are really kind of inspired by European gardens. I know uh, the I photo that ways. you took there is so it's just spectacular, and on Thank the you. it's on it's it's and that's on the river. Is that on the river? Yes, it is mm-hmm. on the river. Yeah, so it's a beautiful setting. But um, so you know, that, I think um, that is a very a very significant garden from sort of a, an art history um, standpoint uh, and a garden history standpoint because um, some of it was designed by a famous uh, female garden designer. Um, and uh, it's kind of, in some ways, to me, that was kind of an unexpected garden because it is uh, very much kind of European in style. Um, mm-hmm. I always, uh, and, it, and it doesn't have as many of the tropical looking plants. I was just going to say of all the garden, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's tropical. It definitely seems right. like it is much more formal. And as you said, right. it, it seems to mimic some of the grand gardens that I've seen in Europe. That's exactly it. That's what it was based on. You know, it was um, part of the garden is English in style. Part of it is Italian in style. So, um, you know, one of the things that I found interesting was the diversity of the gardens throughout Florida. Uh, Some of them, you know, are very tropical looking. Others kind of have a a feel of the um, deep south, the plantation style gardens. and, uh, you know, they're all very different from each other. So, they, you know, there is a, a real diversity based on, you know, the climate zones within Florida, which change pretty drastically from north to south. So there are different plants that can be grown, you know, depending on where you live in Florida. And we should probably uh, tell tell our listeners of how you have uh, how you've arranged the book, because it really makes it so much easier to plan your trip because sure. I really, yeah, I really liked the way that, you know, it's very clear the way you wrote it. You know, you start off 
with saying how to use the book, but then you divide it into sections. So um, you, how were you inspired to, you know, to put the book together? It must have been because you divided your trip into sections, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's basically the divided into geographic sections, starting, you know, with the north. Um, and then I have, uh, you know, the western coast, the eastern coast, um, and then the the central and the south. So, um, you know, depending on, you know, where you're going to be in Florida, you can just kind of go to that chapter and see which gardens are in that specific geographic area. And uh, another thing that I try to do um, when I put the books together is to also, you know, provide some suggested itineraries. Uh, just to give you an idea. Oh, yeah, about, and uh, restaurants. You also gave garden. restaurants. Yeah, right. I right. loved that. That was a great idea. Well, because, you know, gardeners, you know, gardeners need a place to have their lunch. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it's just part of the whole experience. So you can plan, you can either plan a day trip um, or you can plan a multi-day trip. And, you know, so you have a place, uh, you know, that, you know, some some gardens, of course, have their own restaurants where you can enjoy your lunch right there on the premises. Others um, don't, but I tried to suggest places that would um, that would have a, a wide appeal. And uh, to, I just really, you know, I kind of wrote this book for someone who likes to, who enjoys traveling, loves to look at gardens, and I want to make it as easy for them to find the gardens, to learn about them, and to uh, really have a just a wonderful experience visiting. Well, and I just want to reiterate that when uh, you're talking about having this incredible experience, you you actually do give suggested daily itineraries. So what you would do in the morning and then, you know, where to have lunch and uh, and then what you would do later. I mean, I thought that's really I think that is just a really great thing is that um, (laughs) that you, you plan the whole day. Well, I, you know, I try, like I said, I try to make it um, uh, Simple. easy and enjoyable. Uh, and some, and sometimes, you know, I found this especially, you know, if you just try to do research on your own on a website, for instance, it's hard to know how big a garden is, how right. much time you might want to spend there. Uh, you know, can you, how close is it to another garden? So, um, you know, this is where a travel guide, I think it comes in handy because, you know, some of those questions are answered for you and you have suggestions, you know, which gardens can you realistically see together in one day and uh, which ones are just too large or are just so detailed that you want to spend the extra time. So I try to make it easy and fun for people. I was blown away by the ringling. I had no idea that the ringlings had this huge garden and mansion, uh, villa, whatever you want to call it, from Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey. And you actually devoted, what, four pages to this. And they have some really formal gardens there, too. Uh, Could you tell us a little bit about this one? I mean, how was your experience there? Because this one definitely is an all-day experience, it it looks like. Yes, it is an all-day experience. And I was very much, uh, again, I was surprised... um, uh, myself when I visited, just how much there was um, on the property itself. Uh, so it, it, there really is kind of something for everyone to see there because 
Um, you do have a Gilded Age mansion on the property that you can tour. You have. But is it nice gardens. inside? Is it is it over the top or what is it? How did you find it's it over, inside? Over the top. Over the top. Yeah, the top. I can imagine. Yeah. Probably very yeah. circus-like, right? <laughs> well, it's uh, no, it's very Italian inside. It's very Italian, but just Be, yeah, but just but huge. Very, what, you know, it's twenty-seven thousand square feet or something. Yeah, yeah go yeah, ahead. Yeah, it's. Um, so it is based on an Italian uh, palazzo, on a Venetian palazzo. Um, so that was the inspiration for it. So it is, kind, it is, uh, uh, you know, it is a gilded age um, mansion. Um, and then you have the formal grounds. Well, first of all, you've got, again, the beautiful uh, setting, uh, waterfront setting. Mm. Uh, you've got lovely uh, promenade next to the mansion that's lined with palm trees. You have beautiful um, formal rose garden on the property, uh, just a huge collection of uh, trees that they have incorporated from trees that are also from Florida, as well as from all over the world. Uh, and then you've got the incredible art, muse- art museum that's there that is now um, a state art museum. And, uh, and then you've got the circus museum. Uh, which is really, which was really actually so interesting. I was going to say, I bet you that was really fun to see, right? Yes, yes. And uh, I just, uh, it really kind of brings you back a hundred years to the heyday of the circus and the circus coming to town. And Mm. there was just so much to see there. Um, Also, a couple of restaurants where you could enjoy lunch uh, during the day. Uh, not really nice gift shop. So there was there was just a lot to see on that property. Uh, definitely a full day's worth of uh, entertainment there. Yeah, it. I was. Uh, yeah, it's over twenty acres on the, the waterfront. I mean, but that was. I was really surprised to see that one. The other one I wanted to ask you about is there are two Marie Selby Botanical Gardens. So one is a historic Spanish Point campus, and the other one is downtown Sarasota. Right, uh, right. That seemed fascinating to me. Yeah, so that that's um, so um, th- so basically that uh, what used to be it used to be two separate properties, and mm-hmm. um, they just merged. Uh, I believe it was last year. Um, so that's kind of a new development, but um, the cell are they Garden, close to each other? Because I'm, they're I'm not, not far familiar. From I haven't been to Sarasota, and yeah, and yeah. the address says Osprey. So right, but, so that's just that that's south of Sarasota. So they're really not far okay. from each other at all. But but um, so historic Spanish Point is really much more of a historic property, um, and um, the Selby Garden is a botanical garden. Um, so they're very different from each other, um, but really both also enjoyable to visit. Um, I love the Selby Garden because um, it is uh, it's a an orchid garden, a world renowned orchid garden. Mm. Um, so that is a that's a really exciting aspect of seeing I, that garden. I, I love orchids. Love the orchids. Yes. And it looks yes. like bromeliads too. I'm looking at your the photo at the botanical garden. So yes, it seems like, have, at least it looks like they planted it in an old fountain or something. Right, right. And they have um, beautiful giant banyan trees. Uh, and it, it's, it's, again, it's a lovely location on Sarasota Bay. Um, but really, um, they're um, sort of the, the most incredible part about the Selby Garden is that there are like a 
they're like a world expert on orchids and orchids. those types of plants, epiphytes, oh. yes. So oh, um, seems amazing, so, amazing. Yeah. Well, it's absolutely just a stunning book. I mean, I went, I, I went through every page, Yana, and I'm thinking, okay, I've got to get to Florida to see these gardens. <laughs> but you've also done the Garden Tourist New England, which I have not seen, and uh, I'm sure it's as spectacular. But what is the Garden Tourist? Just your first book is that? Is that just a compendium? Right of different gardens from many places you've visited? Uh, no, the, the Garden Tourist actually um, focuses on the Northeast. So it, um, it kind of covers the territory from southern Maine down to Philadelphia. Okay, it but it does, first... I mean, but it's several different gardens. It's not just one state. It's, it is no, it's uh, Northeast. States, okay, Where that, the whereas North, yeah. the New England is just going to be the New it's England states. Six New England states, right? So the um, so the the first book, the Garden Tourist, is sort of um, it's the Northeast corridor, so it's mostly coastal, um, you know, places along the coast. So it includes um, some of um, the New England gardens as well as the Hudson River Valley in New York, uh, New Jersey, and the Philadelphia gardens. Um, so uh, that is uh, that's um, kind of a, a broader northeast um book and then after i did the first one i found that there were about um 70 additional gardens and nurseries that i wanted to include that were just from new england and so that's why the second book really just focuses on the Got it. New england state. well let me give you out your website so people can find out ab um, about you your garden design buy copies of the book uh, everything it is EnchantedGardensDesign.com, and it's gardens, plural, EnchantedGardensDesign.com. She's also on Facebook, and you can find her there. And on Instagram, it is The Garden Tourist. And I imagine Correct. you're just going to continue this series, at least I hope you will, Yana, because you've done such a beautiful, beautiful job. And I'm just thrilled, um, thrilled to have you on the show to share all your insights. And thank you so much for coming on well, Star thank Style. thank you. Thank you, thank Cynthia. And uh, I, hope, uh, I hope that you will come to New England sometime, and I'd be happy to take you to some of our local gardens here and show oh. you around. Oh, that sounds like an amazing invitation. <laughs> you know, you never know what I might take you up on that. So thank you so much. Again, the author is Yana Milbacher. Her newest book is The Garden Tourist Florida. And she also has The Garden Tourist and The Garden Tourist New England. And I'm sure she's going to have more soon. Check out our website, EnchantedGardensDesign.com. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We will right, be right back, and we're going to talk about some spring planting. So we're staying in the garden. So don't go away. Be the star you are. The star you are. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Be the star you are. 
The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. BeTheStarYouAre.org. Dare to care. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show. Well, I just love that conversation with Yana Milbacher, and the book is just fantastic. So if you are going to Florida or New England or the Northeast and you are a garden lover as I am, you'll want to pick up a copy. So go to her website and do that, EnchantedGardensDesign.com. Well, Earl Nightingale said, I'm grateful for the opportunity to live on this beautiful and astonishing planet Earth. In the morning, I wake up with a sense of gratitude. And that's how I feel. Every day I wake up so grateful because I'm just, I just feel so lucky to have nature all around me. And in California, May is really one of the most beautiful and colorful months of the year because Mother Nature has fully awakened from her lingering winter doldrums and she has burst into bloom. And that radiant combination of the lush green lawns, as I said at the top of the hour, against the cheerful vignettes of the flowing flowers and trees and shrubs. It's just mesmerizing. Beauty, fragrance, and food beckon from every direction. Now, with appreciation, I awake every morning and I fall asleep every night to the lullabies from a multitude of songbirds. It's been so much fun watching. I have the uh, two little um, uh, song sparrows that are building a nest in my backyard and they just sing, 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 sing. And it is so, I have so much fun watching them. And pollinators are busy buzzing from nectar plants to other food sources, signaling that I have a very healthy garden environment. Now the succession of blossoms changes daily from the spring bulbs to the robust roses, to the bright bearded iris, to sprouted seeds that I scattered last fall. It is just a parade of flowers. Now, May is the optimum time to plant annuals, vegetables, and herbs together in a potager garden. By combining a medley of edibles and florals, you're going to create biological pest control. And what it does, it provides plants the ignition to protect one another and be a shelter for beneficial insects. Now, I like to add nasturgeum, calendula, marigolds. They are like the workhorses. They attract hungry caterpillars and black flies, and they keep them away from the brassicas, the beans, 
I always plant garlic between my roses, my lettuce, potatoes. I even put it in the fruit trees because it keeps away the aphids and the Japanese beetles and the ermine moss. Now, parsley is something that I can't live without. I love parsley because it grows all year round. It is an, it's, it's not an annual, it's a perennial, and it attracts the pollinators and protectors, especially for tomatoes. Now, mint deters ants and aphids, but you've got to make sure to keep it in a pot because mint can overtake an entire garden. And I have had that happen where mint has escaped the pot, got into my vegetable garden. I literally spent, I don't know, at least a week last year pulling as much mint out as I could and then putting cardboard down and newspaper on top of it and then mulch on top of it and then soil on top of that. And I will say that this year the, the I have tackled the mint. Now, just remember before planting, you want to weed everything thoroughly and you want to enrich your soil with compost or add new soil if you, you know, if the soil is really bad. And then always rotate your crops because that will help your plants maintain their vigor and you'll produce greater yields of food. Now, something that um, I wanted to talk about as a plant is Jerusalem star. It has a lot of other names, go to bed early, vegetable oyster, or salsify. Now, in many places, it's considered an invasive weed, but it is related to the dandelion, and it is an absolutely beloved Victorian-era edible that tastes like an oyster, grows like a carrot, but has been completely forgotten. Now, its yellow flowering relative is named goat's beard. The taps root grows to about 12 inches into the ground, and you, when you go to harvest it, you have to harvest it with care because you don't want to break the root. Now, in the kitchen, salsify is so versatile, and it is delicious in soups, stews, bisques, casseroles. You can grate it like beets and put it in a salad, and it actually will give kind of a fresh seafood artichoke flavor. Now, the entire plant has been used medicinally. When I first found it in my garden, I, I was just, I loved the flower, but then I thought it must be a weed because it only blooms for, I don't know, a couple of days, and then the flower turns into this fuzzy thing like a dandelion, and that's why it's called goat's beard, but I decided to go ahead and plant, you know, let it, it, it self-seeds. And, you know, it is really beautiful. So um, that is something you can eat. And I, I really, I, I, I encourage it. Now, there's poisonous plants that could be invading your vegetable garden, though. So you've got to be cautious. Poison hemlock is everywhere here in California. And what people don't realize, it is absolutely deadly if ingested. It's a really pretty plant. It has these lacy, fern-like leaves and the very delicate, uh, panicle white flowers. It's a member of the carrot family, and it's often mistaken for Queen Anne's lace. Now, Queen Anne's lace is also toxic, but it's less lethal. Let me tell you how to identify poison hemlock. You look at the stems, and the stems have a red or purple spot or streak on it. It um, they almost look like the stems have the measles. And its most poisonous alkaloid is called conine. What it does is it causes complete respiratory collapse. And uh, when I say complete, 
Only mechanical or artificial ventilation can save someone who has ingested poison hemlock. So if you're pulling it out, you need to wear gloves and a mask to dig out the root. And don't weed whack it and don't burn it because the small particles could be inhaled. And I have actually heard, um, spoken with doctors who have had patients who've been in the hospital for like months um, on a ventilator because they had weed whacked poison a hemlock, not knowing it, that those particles could get in your lung. Now, you probably heard of hemlock uh, because Plato wrote about the death of Socrates. And this is what Socrates chose as his preferred method of dying when he was condemned to death. He drank hemlock tea. The other one, as I was saying um, in the first segment, is elderberry. Now, the yellow blooms of elderberry trees signal that spring has arrived. But people do need to be aware of the toxicity. It's a beautiful tree. But the stems, the seeds, the leaves, the bark, and the roots are all poisonous to humans because it contains cyanide. It's a cyanide-inducing glycoside. The blue-black berries are safe to eat, but only after boiling for at least 20 minutes. Elderberry wine and jam are really popular, and they both offer major health benefits, but don't think you can eat the rest. Another dangerous plant in your garden could be foxglove, Digitalis purpurea. It's beautiful. It's a spectacularly gorgeous biennial plant, and it is extremely attractive to children, and every part of it is lethal to humans. Compounds from this plant are used in heart medicine. That's why it's called Digitalis. And since they grow tall, five to seven feet tall, plant them at the back of your flower garden, but keep them out of your kitchen garden. That is a a really important thing. Um, So besides getting my potager kitchen garden, vegetable garden installed, my latest fun spring project has been creating a living wall garden by using a decorative frame that I got from Nature's Hill Nursery. And it features a built-in watering tray and a reservoir for drainage. You can see it on my Instagram, uh, which is uh, Star Style Productions. This instant wall planner is a step up from any DUI picture frame that I used to do with chicken wire and, you know, and moss. Um, and this one, you just add potting soil to the portrait garden. And I arranged a variety of succulents. And then I actually put in a a turkey feather I found. I watered it. I hung it on the exterior of my house. And it is like sunshine growing art piece. It's beautiful. So every day I just feel very much full of gratitude for the wonders of Mother Earth. And I encourage you to walk gently through your garden to enjoy the miraculous and magic of May. So happy gardening and happy growing. And thank you so much for tuning into my garden show today and for allowing me into your life every Wednesday, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, right here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where we come to you live on the Voice America Network. This is the Empowerment Channel. For more information about Star Style Productions, to purchase any of my books, visit CynthiaBryan.com. If you'd like to make a donation to Be The Star You Are charity or get involved or volunteer, visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate you. 
see beyond your physical being. Know you are ready to star you dreamed of becoming. Cherish the past, dream of the future, and celebrate every moment of your life. But read a book this week because that's like a garden in your pocket. And I will suggest The Garden Tourist Florida by Yana Milbacher. It was really fun. Or one of her other books as well. Or if you want other garden books, Chicken Soup for the Gardener's Soul or Growing with the Goddess Gardener are two of mine. So until we celebrate next week, remember that love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan for Star Style. I thank you and encourage you. Be the star you are. Be your unapologetically authentic self. Have a wonderful week. Dream, create, inspire, make a difference. And go out into nature, hug a tree, smell the roses, or just take a walk. You'll be blessed for it. Thanks for joining me. Happy growing. Happy gardening. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. You are the star. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.